Before we open the word of God, let's all bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace. and We are humbled, Lord, by your power, your magnificence, your glory, your majesty. As we heard this morning, if we could only see the Lord God as he really is, in all his glory and splendor, how we would see ourselves differently. And so, Father in heaven, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power, his wisdom, his understanding that he gives in, in imparts to his servants as they would uh, open the word and uh, read it and, and expound upon it. That your spirit will convict us, exhort us, teach us and, and uh, comfort us where necessary. We ask all of these things now. And also, Father, we pray for the Radovanov family as they're going through their struggle, through their trial now with their father gone to be with the Lord. We pray for their comforting, for strength to go through this trial and that your name will be glorified through the life in which he lived. We thank you for all things as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's text, I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatian churches, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every, one of you, every man prove his own work, and then he shall be, then shall, then shall be, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many so as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only, lest they should suffer persecution from the cross, for the cross. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, 
no uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as a man, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Written unto the Galatians from Rome. Dear ones, before us is a letter that Paul says that he has written with his own hand. And it appears that this is the only letter that he wrote with his own hand. It may have been because he never had at that time around him uh, those to whom he could dictate his thoughts as they came to him as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It must have been an important letter if he undertook this. It also shows that the Apostle Paul, as you can see the writing, um, must have been educated as he said he was. He, couldn't, he knew Greek fluently. He knew Hebrew fluently. He knew the law um, exceptionally, as he states in the book of Philippians chapter 3. All the qualifications that he had there. And yet he never used that in any way in, in order to promote himself. He never used the, his abilities or the, or the authority they had in the gospel to handle the God deceitfully, as he says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4. Just at lunchtime, we were talking with, with the new couple that was here about how there are so many in, the, in their country that use the gospel for means to, to increase their wealth. It's used deceitfully. It's used abusively for their own gain. Paul, the only purpose he uh, wrote the scriptures was out of a great love for the human race. As given to him by God, as revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, he penned that which the Holy Spirit breathed upon him to pen. And he did this because he himself was saved. He was saved from his life of uh, contra and contradicting Christ or persecuting the church and now as if to make up for lost time he was giving everything he could with the little time that he had to propagate the truth and threaded throughout his epistles this, this theme of the circumcision and the uncircumcision this theme of justification by the law or justification by faith keeps cropping up because it was steeped into the tradition of the Jews on how they would be accepted before God. It seems, by going through this chapter, if you pick out some of the words, you can see some of the, 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 the main uh, objectives of the Apostle Paul 
in writing especially the sixth chapter. He says, brethren, he's speaking to the church, the churches in Galatia, that were scattered through, it wasn't one city. Speaking to the churches in Galatia, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So we have the word meekness in verse 1. And in verse 3, it says, For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So we see this, this within three verses, he brings this idea of high-mindedness and meekness, the contrast between the two. We know that in the Jewish religion, the Pharisees seem to be very proud people, very uh, uh, into themselves as far as their learning, how they understood scripture. They were the interpreters of the law. They were that sect, the separated ones, about 6,000 of them at the time of Christ. We know about the, the, par- the, par- or the, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. I think it was in, was it in uh, Luke chapter 19 or 18, where the Pharisee is praying and he says, Oh God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. You know, I give, uh, uh, I fast twice in a week, I give uh, tithes of all I have, and I'm not like other men, not even like this publican next to me. This reject, reject from Israel. He thought of himself very highly. And the publican, on the other hand, he said, dared not even look up to heaven. But he smote his breast. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the Lord Christ, the Messiah, said, verily this man went home justified rather than the other. Doesn't have to be a long prayer. Doesn't have to be a prayer like the heathen with many vain repetitions. It has to be sincere. Has to be truthful. It has to be penitent. And Jesus said himself in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be called the children of God. So we see that Paul is saying here, the apostle, that we make errors, we sin. As believers, we sin. Jesus said, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. They must come. Whether it's others persecuting us or whether we offend our brother, Matthew 18, they will come. The Apostle Paul here calls it a fault. If any man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, not in the spirit of how could he do that? I don't understand how he can sin like that. He's a Christian. And usually we may think that way until we fall into a sin or we fall into a trespass. 
And then we may have a different feeling. And sometimes God allows that to happen. You know, he, he, he wants you and me to realize that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, these spiritual uh, truths and doctrines that the Apostle Paul wrote are all based on the teachings of Christ. Almost everything you can get from Matthew 5, the, the spiritual teachings of the, on the beautiful attitudes and the beatitudes which Christ taught. You can almost get any underlying, uh, any sin with that underlying principle behind it. That we will sin as believers. Some say, well, no, he's speaking about a fault. And believe it or not, I've talked to people in recent history who say, we as, we as Christians, we, no, we can't sin. And we, we read about it this morning. I asked Brother Alan before he, he left. I said, did you expound on 1 John chapter 3? Because I was, I was planning to, to uh, address that this afternoon. He said, no, he didn't. So um, if, if you recall what he read this morning from 1 John chapter 3, He talks about um, whosoever committed sin transgresses the law for the sin is a transgression of the law and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. What? If you abide in Christ, you don't sin. Okay, let's keep going. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. Whoever sins has not seen Christ, nor known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, and he might destroy the work of the devil. Here it is. Whosoever is born of God doth not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So some people take this verse and say, see, Christians cannot sin. They're born of God, they have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God abides in him, therefore he cannot sin. Well, if you take that approach, then you've got to reconcile it with the previous chapter, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. How do you reconcile those two? Well, some people try to reconcile those two, what apparently are contradicting scriptures, by saying, oh, when a Christian sins, he just has a fault. There it says in Galatians, he has a fault. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou be tempted. Well, if you look at that word, I think it's in the Greek, G, 
whatever, 29 or 3900 or something like that, and you search for that word, you will see it occurs about 23 times in the New Testament. And about 21 or two times, it is translated as sin, offense, trespass. So even though they may use a fault here, the word in the Greek here is really paraptoma. It means a deviation or a slipping away of. But any unrighteousness before God is sin. All unrighteousness, read on in, I think it's in 1 John 5, all unrighteousness is sin. There is a danger if we say we as Christians can never sin because in some ways we diminish the things that we think are false as not transgressing the will of God because it's a fault. So I asked this one person, then, what did Jesus mean, say, if your brother trespass against you? And I think it's the same word, paraptoma, that he uses there. Go between him and thee alone. And uh, his response, oh, that's just between you and your brother. Brothers and sisters, if we don't realize that any transgression between brother and sister is first and foremost a tra transgression against God, we've missed the boat. Because in transgressing against our brother, we have violated the law of God. We have breached his law. He is the lawgiver. It is a sin. It is a trespass. Which needs to be repented of. So if you look at John, 1 John chapter 3, where it talks that he that doth commit sin is of the devil... If you translate it the way some do, that means if a Christian commits sin, he's of the devil, he's not really a Christian. Well, that's not true. See, we do a lot of harm and damage to Scripture when we don't understand the, the way it was written and the way the Greek writings or, 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 or verbiage was, how it was translated in English. What it's really saying is, whoever is born of God does not continue in sin or commit sinning. You go back to Romans chapter 6, it says, Sin shall have no more dominion over you. A Christian is someone where sin does not have dominion over him. He is no longer a slave to sin. It's in the present continuous tense. So when you say he does not sin, in the Greek it could mean he's not sinning. Specifically, Hebrews chapter 6 says, sorry, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. That specifically, that word there is he that is sinning willfully. He that is living a life of sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. I think it's our utmost importance that we, 
We call sin for what it is. Sin is sin. Because if we don't, we feel that we can continue our pattern of life of transgressing the law of God, of making slip-ups and not having to repent for them because it's just a fault. Because Christ only intercedes for us for sins. No, Christ intercedes for us for every transgression. And it says that all unrighteousness is sin. Even fault, this word, which is translated in Galatians uh, as fault here, but in 20 other uh, references it's translated as sin, trespass, offence. Romans 5. As by one offence many died. Same word. So by the righteousness of one shall many be made alive. We've got to be very careful that we don't somehow customise the word of God to suit ourselves. And, and in doing so, perhaps some people feel that they're, they're, um, they're holding the word of God more precious to themselves because we can't sin. We, as believers, we can't sin. No, we are not allowed to sin. No, God does not allow sin. God does not permit sin. But it says in 1 John 2, if we sin, we need to guard against sinning. We don't take it lightly. And we don't add to the word things that are not in the word. So you go back to Galatians chapter 6. He's talking about if a man commits a sin, a fault, a sin, a trespass, an offence. If he didn't commit a sin, why would we need to restore that one? It says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. If he didn't commit a sin, why would he need restoration? It's a sin. And he says, do it in the spirit of meekness. And when, when we counsel with souls and say, when you trespass against your brother, or your brother trespasses against you, you need to approach him as Matthew 18. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18? Go to him by yourself. And between him and thee alone, Try to resolve your problem. Don't go to somebody else. Don't gossip to somebody else. Don't say how bad a person that person is. You know what? You might be wrong. And then what? Then you let a cat out of the bag that's very hard to, to catch. You've emptied a pillow of feathers that is very hard to gather up again. Because you could be wrong. You could be dead wrong. And what you've done if you've slandered that brother or sister. So you go to this person and we, 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 we instruct uh, converts to do that in which spirit? Even if someone sins against you, how should you approach that person? In love. Why? To regain that brother, to regain that sister. In the spirit of love. Here he says, in the spirit of meekness. Why? Considering yourself. You might be that one in the position the next time. How would you like to be treated? How would you like someone to deal with it when you sin? Do unto others. Here's another principle. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Probably known in a, a hundred different cultures. 
Do it in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. Be ye one another's burden. Don't be um, arrogant or, or accusatory or prideful that you didn't do it. Instead, when you do that, when, when we are prideful and arrogant about when someone else has fallen, when we rejoice in evil, when we rejoice in other pe- people's downfalls, then we're not helping them with their burden. We're adding more to their burden. Instead, he says, bear ye one another's burdens. Consider yourself. If you were in that situation, how would you like it? How would you like to be treated? And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. We heard it this morning. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There's another principle. We've covered about three or four principles here directly from the teachings of Christ. And so fulfill the law of Christ. In another place it calls in James the royal law because Christ was king. Fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, you deceive yourself. We heard this morning. If you say you love your God but hate your brother, you're a liar. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. He contrasts the meekness and the arrogance of believers. Remember, you could be in that position one day yourself, and then you'll be looking for mercy. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. You think, well, that, wait a second, that's a contradiction within three verses. We should bear each other's burdens. It says in the verse before, in verse um, 2, and here it says, and every man shall bear his own burden. What? Is there a contradiction? If you follow the flow, he's saying, if any man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let every man... Prove his own work. Let every man judge himself. That's what he's saying. Let every man judge himself. Don't judge your brother. Judge yourself. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. And then you shall have rejoicing in yourself alone and not in another. Judge yourself. If we judge ourselves, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, here's another principle, we will not be judged. But if we judge someone else, we will be judged according to the measure that we measure the other person. Remove the, the beam from your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to see the moat, the little speck in your brother's eye. Very clear, very clear from Scripture. Every man shall prove his own work, judge himself, for every man shall bear his own burden. What he's saying is every man will give account, to, uh, account for his own work, for his, the way he dealt with himself, for the way he dealt with his sin, for the way he dealt with his temptation. Every man's going to give account 
for his own works. We are to help others in their burden. We are help to help them in lifting the burden off their shoulder, but we will give account for our own actions. That's what he's saying. So don't be high-minded. Remember, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of God. You know, and it says in the book of Romans, when it talks about liberties, eating things unto, you know, herbs and meats, and some, some eat this and some eat that, some, some uh, worship on this day, some respect that day. He says, don't judge another man's master, uh, servant. Every man will rise and fall to his own master. That's what he's saying again here. Every man will give according to his master. We're not my brother's master. We are servants of our master, Christ. And Christ is the master of our brother. It's very plain. Every man will give account for his own acts and responsible for his own actions. And then he says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Now he's saying, you know, in the church, there are masters. In, in James it says, be not many masters, for the same shall receive the greater condemnations. James chapter 3 verse 1. <clears throat> but those masters are not masters so-called with authority. These are, these are teaching brothers. These are elders, preachers, teachers. Be not many teachers, for they shall receive the greater condemnation. So the church does have teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about teachers and apostles and evangelists, right? There are different functions for different members of the body of Christ. He said, but he that is taught in the word, that has uh, uh, some... Good understanding would communicate what you know, what you understand to others. And that's what we do. That's what we do in our churches. That's what we do during CFG. We try to communicate the word as God had intended it to be communicated when they were penned. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Why? Like Paul says... That which you have learned of me, commit to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. That's how the body of Christ works. It's a cooperation. It's a collaboration. It's a working together. That word communicate, if you look at it, it comes from the same word as koinonia. Koinonia. Fellowship. You read it in John this morning, I believe. Or is in chapter 1 at least. We have fellowship. We have communion with each other. We have a sharing. He says, if you have understanding in the word of God, share it with others so that they can grow and be able to teach others also. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Don't think you can pull something over the eyes of God. Don't think that you and I can do something behind the scenes that God will not see. God knows everything. And he's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, here we go back again to that same verse, bearing your own burden, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I can't see how any of us could mistake what Paul the Apostle through the Holy Spirit is saying here. We will all give account for ourselves. 
And when we sow something now, it may not be revealed immediately, but down the road it will be revealed. Down the road it will be revealed. That which is whispered in the closets, Jesus said, shall be shouted from the rooftops. That's why it's important for us to live and walk in the light, as 1 John 3 says. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall reap everlasting life, or life everlasting. Very simple uh, principle of reaping what you sow. You reap to the flesh, you reap the flesh. You reap to the spirit, you reap of the spirit. God is not mocked. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just as our bad works that may be covert and hidden that we haven't confessed and dealt with, if they're hidden now will one day come to light, so also the good works that we do, if they are not immediately seen and noticed and evidenced, they will come. But they will come in time, in due season. Then you will reap. And some of these things may be when people do talk bad about us and we don't react. We don't get angry. We don't snap back. We don't take revenge. We take it meekly like Jesus did. And in due season down the road, when the truth surfaces, we will be vindicated, not by ourselves, not by our own words, but God will somehow reveal the truth. That's the, that's the example that Jesus gave us, that in the end, even though Jesus opened not his mouth, in the end, the fruit came. A church. A church was planted and became the members, the hands, the feet, the eyes of the body of Jesus Christ. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. We have so much work even within our own circles. And many, many times there are brethren that are overloaded. Are we not going to help Bear those, those burdens? Are we not going to help lift the arms of those that are already overloaded? And I'm not saying this to say any of us can be overloaded, but relatively speaking, there needs to be a balance. Every member needs to pitch into the body to strengthen and edify the church of God. And he ends, you've seen the letter that I've written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Why? They want you to be circumcised. They want you to take on this appearance so that you don't have to get persecuted by the Jews. And when we do that, we basically compromise what our real beliefs are. We, 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 the, 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 whoever he was writing about in this letter saying when you do that 
you're giving, you're sending a message back to the Jews by circumcising your children because they compel you to do so. You're agreeing with them they have to do so. By resisting that and saying, no, I will not circumcise my children for that purpose because I want to show to you that salvation doesn't come through the law, through human works. Works come as a result of salvation, but that doesn't come, salvation doesn't come as a result of works. Salvation comes as a faith and belief in Jesus Christ and in responding to his gospel call to repent. They are not works. They're a condition of salvation. For neither they that themselves who are circumcised keep the law, the same people that were compelling you to be circumcised are not keeping the law. They're breaking the law all over the place in other areas. I once heard a saying, and I think it's so true, don't judge me because I sin differently than you do. That doesn't excuse my sin. But every one of us have our own things that we need to deal with. And there, there are biblical uh, recourses on how to deal with sin in the church. But as Jesus said in Matthew 7, take out the, the log out of your own eye before you accuse or judge somebody else. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This is what Paul boasted about. Paul gloried, he boasted about the cross of Christ that even though I am a sinner, Christ died for me on the cross. Even when I do sin and I repent, Christ is interceding for me at the right hand of God as an advocate. He's a propitiation not of not only of my sins, but the sins of the whole world. So I glory in that. I become holy not because of what I did. I become holy, first of all, because Christ, God separated me and called me a holy uh, uh, nation, part of a holy nation. But I become purified in a response to the conviction of the word in repentance. And it is Christ, the cross of Christ, that cleanses me. Because no matter how good I am, I still fall short. And it's only his grace that forgives me for my sin. And his blood that cleanses me and washes me from sin. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Getting circumcised doesn't in any way add to my salvation or give me salvation. It's nothing, he says here. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and the mercy upon the Israel of God. The true Israel. The Israel that believes like Abraham believed. The true Jews, if you will. Like Zacchaeus. Salvation came to his house that day because he believed in the only begotten Son of God. And then he ends, Therefore let no man trouble me, 
Don't bother me anymore. For I bear in my body not the marks of circumcision. He does, but that's not what he glories about. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Why? He was crucified with Christ. As Christ had marks in his body, the nail prints and the spear uh, cut into his flesh, into his chest, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I am crucified with him. And he showed that by being persecuted for him. He was willing, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being made conformable unto his death. He longed to be identified with Christ, even in persecution. Brethren, the Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says, May the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us always. Amen. This concludes our service.